Hi, I'm Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror Show. Show. We are in South Dakota this week. Don't you know? Let's not get our Dakotas mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I always get mixed up? I always confuse the state capitals of North and South Dakota. Yeah. And there's no good like mnemonic trick for me to remember that on. I'm like, Pierre, really. South Dakota. I, nope, nothing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just like, weird French name for South Dakota, gotcha. Like, that's pretty much how I remember. I'm like, they're the weird French ones. So I do want to ask you something. Okay. Have you watched any of the Fear Street movies that came out on Netflix? Because now all three of them are out. <gasps> no, but we saw the trailers and immediately added them to our watch list. We oh, they're good. Are they? Yeah. I just got done watching the last one last night, and it's really good. I enjoyed them. They're fun. So, like, it goes, like... Would you recommend watching them in like the part one, part two, part three order? Because it's yes. like reverse linear order, right? It's or it it's we, like time. yeah, you need you need to watch it from the first one to the second one to the third one because okay. the first one is like the base story. What's happening now? I mean, it's ninety four, but it's considered now as far as the movie is concerned, right? Um, and then the second one goes into something that happened in the seventies that corresponds with what's happening now, and then the last one is back to the origin story of everything. For the first half of it. And then the second half of it is what 94 again. And it's weird because once they finished with the 1666 portion of it, I was like, okay, well, that was long and now it's going to be over and they didn't resolve anything in the present. Let's pause and see how much time we still have left. Holy crap, there's still an hour. (laughs) Nice, nice. Yeah, but they're definitely good fun and I would recommend watching them. And the Fear Street books do make an appearance in the movie. Oh, really? I love the Fear Street books. Like, I'm so really, I. the original like trilogy about the cheerleaders. Oh, I'm the like, cheerleaders, oh. yes. Good old Corky. Corky and Bobby. Yep. It's funny too because we were uh, just talking about my, my wife and I were talking about Goosebumps, and oh, yes. I'm like, I wasn't a Goosebumps kid because I had Fear Street, and I feel like you're one or the other depending on your age and like your you level really of were. Interest. If you were like a little younger than the uh, the Goosebumps books and the Ghosts of Fear Street books were the ones to go for. And if you're a little bit older, like more high school age, I'd say then definitely the Fear Street books are what you're looking for. High school age. I was like middle school scholastic book fair. Oh, I love the scholastic <laughs> book fair. I was thinking about it. Someone, I think I read a tweet and someone's like, I wish every day could be like the scholastic book fair where you're so yes. excited to buy books. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, between that and book it, they made me love reading. True, true. That did its job, I suppose. Who didn't want your personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut? So So I guess now that I have Fear Street movies added to my to-do list, I can move on to my next item on my to-do list, which is to tell you all about the fun, great state of South Dakota. I am very interested to hear. I noticed neither of us can say that word without having the accent to go along with it. Dakota. It's so hard. Like, I'm kind of glad I'm not friends with anyone named Dakota because I'd just be like, Dakota! Exactly. It's so tough. <laughs> like, even when, like, like, who's in that? Like, oh, it's Dakota Fanning. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> but anyway, the great state of Dakota, it is an interesting place for sure. It is called the Mount Rushmore State. Obviously, it's its most popular attraction, I would say. It is the 17th largest state by area, but it's the fifth least populated, which means 
it's you know 45th in terms of population wow and it has the least uh, it's the fifth least densely populated place in the united states i think total the number of folks who are actually living in the state of south dakota is less than a million people it's about 8800,000 wow. and if you do the math with the area of South Dakota, which is about 77,000 square miles, the population density breaks down to 11 and a half people per square mile. Okay. Yeah. You're like, that's not too bad, right? That's not too bad. But they're all kind of grouped together in bigger cities, a lot of them. So Exactly. And then if you look at a state like California, which is probably our most populous state. Oh, yeah. It's uh, 253 people per square mile. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) See, it's like it's so weird because like Southern California seems to be like the dream of dreams for most people. Mm -hmm. And I would love to visit, but I don't want to live in what is essentially a desert that we just planted green things in to make it be like, no, it's not a desert. It's a desert. Well, to be fair, Southern California does benefit from being so close to the ocean. But if you go past the mountains, it is basically an arid desert. Yeah, because that's all it was. Like anything green we planted, it was not there before. Anywho, back to South Dakota. Yes. Even though, speaking of populations, uh, Pierre, South Dakota, as we mentioned, is the state capital. It's the second least populous state capital in the U.S., uh, the only place with less residents is Montpelier, Vermont. Okay. While Pierre is the state capital of South Dakota, it's not the largest city. Do you know what the largest city is? I'm curious because I didn't. I'm wondering if it's Sioux Falls. You're right. Uh, and that's because my stories take place there. So I kind of figured it was. Oh, Because I, I think like, I remember I from know. my intro. I'm like, what city? Far- is it Fargo? <laughs> like, I don't That's in North Dakota. What am I doing? <laughs> Yeah, I do not know much about South Dakota, but apparently the motto is under God, the people rule. And the state song is quite predictable. It's called Hail South Dakota. All right. Cool. All right. All right. I don't know. I just heard hail and then the S sound start. And I was like, what are we getting into? (laughs) (laughs) Hail South Dakota. (laughs) What kind of state is this? So now, now some of the weirder things about South Dakota, which I kind of love. Uh, apparently, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, you might know this, Eden, since it's where your, your story takes place this week. It was once known as the divorce capital of the nation. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, I think most people th- hear about like a Reno divorce because the divorce laws in, in Reno were very lax. But apparently, in the early 20th century, most states require at least one year of residency and grounds of adultery to grant a divorce. However, in Sioux Falls, you only needed to be there between three and six months, and you could get a divorce on a bunch for a bunch of different reasons. It didn't just have to be adultery. Uh, and because of that, more than 6,000 divorces were granted from 1889 until the laws were completely revamped in 1909. Wow. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that our researchers have gone back and looked at the number of divorces and the people who got divorced in South Dakota. And only about one third of those divorces were actually f- by people who were longtime residents of South Dakota. Oh, my God. So everyone's <laughs> just like, let's go to South Dakota, get a quickie divorce. We're good. Yep. Basically. Basically. 
one of the most recent new favorite holidays for me personally, and I think it'll also be one for you too, Eden, Okay, is a celebration that the small farming town of Clark, South Dakota holds every year. It is called Potato Day. Potato Day. Yep. It is the chief crop of the town of Clark. So they honor the humble potato by celebrating with a best decorated potato contest, a potato dish cook-off, and a mashed potato wrestling contest. That's gross. Yep. It's exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) Ew. I don't want to wrestle in mashed potatoes. I want to eat mashed potatoes. I don't want to wrestle in them. Uh, Speaking of weird things that South Dakotans have done with food, there is one of the coolest but weirdest roadside attractions I've ever heard of that I would love to go to, and it is all about corn. Okay. In Mitchell, South Dakota, there is a building called the Corn Palace. All right. I'm, I'm down. It is built in a Moorish revival style, so it has these big turrets outside. Cool. And it's basically a multi-purpose community venue, um, but it's covered in it's covered in murals of that were basically created from thousands of bushels of corn, grain, and grasses, all from the local area. If you have a chance, I would say Google cor- the Corn Palace in Mitchell, and it's it's such a cool looking building because it is literally like just covered in corn. <laughs> covered in corn, my dream. Covered in corn. I'm actually looking up the Corn Palace right now. Oh yeah, yeah, do it. It's neat. The world's only corn palace, Mitchell, South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. let's see. Ooh. Oh, that is really cool. I like it. It's very, I don't even know how to describe it, It's but it's really cool. There's a ton of turrets, a ton of turrets. Yep. It's very cool. It's almost got like a weird, like Moroccan vibe in certain places. Mm, yeah, it's the architecture plus like the way that like the corn and like the grains and grass on the outside give it almost yes. like a mud brick feel. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really cool. It's one of those longtime roadside attractions, kind of like House of the Rock that I'm like, I would love to, to visit if I ever get out there. Exactly. Yes. But I mean, I don't even know if I'm ever going to South Dakota, but you never know. You know, that'd be cool. One thing that I thought was kind of cool that I did not know is that South Dakota holds a very distinctive role in paleontology. Okay. Over the years, uh, there have been lots of important discoveries for the paleological record in the Badlands National Park, which is located in southwestern South Dakota. It's really just a treasure trove of fossils that date back as far as 35 million years. Uh, It's a place where not only scientists, but folks who just are into fossils and just want to do some amateur fossil hunting, will go and visit. And they found lots of amazing things there, including the unique animals that are now extinct, like a three-toed horse, a bunch of different kind of antelope-style creatures, creandots, which is a type of carnivorous mammal, and one of the most famous dinosaurs in the world, Sue the T-Rex, was discovered in the Badlands in 1990. Do you remember that from when we were kids? No, I don't. I I remember only because I was like a a really weird dinosaur kid when I was little. I don't remember this, but my my mom tells me that I knew all the names of all the dinosaurs. We went to the Franklin Institute. I can barely remember them to this day, but apparently it was a thing I knew all about that I've just blocked out. But I do remember Sue the T-Rex because it was this big, huge discovery. And it's this fossil of a T-Rex. 
and it's huge. It's 42 feet long, 12 feet high at the hips. She's considered to be like the biggest and most complete T-Rex that we've ever uncovered. Ooh. Sue today lives at the Field Museum in Chicago, and she's part of the Institute's larger permanent collection. But I remember it was like the the T-Rex rage. And then like a couple of years later, Jurassic Park came out and like T-Rexes are so prominent in that movie. Like, oh, yeah. It's like, how could you not? It's probably the most like recognizable dinosaur that there is Mm -hmm. for people. And any other dinosaur from Land Before Time, of course. Oh, for sure. For sure. Everybody has their, you know, little foot fetish. Exactly. What's his name Littlefoot? Which that just sounds gross, but <laughs> yes, it was Littlefoot. <laughs> I want to hear where people want to be sticking that neck. <laughs> so this is interesting, and it's something that I'll chat about a little bit in my story. But some of the largest and deepest gold deposits in the United States are actually in South Dakota. I know a lot of times we think about gold rushes, we think about California and Alaska. Yes. But South Dakota also had its own gold rush in the 1870s. And that I do believe that I knew. Yeah. I knew a little bit about it, but not as much as I learned about this week. But the largest and deepest gold mine is located in lead or lead. I don't know. It's one of those weird English words. South Dakota. It is the Homestake Mine. It opened in 1876 and... It actually closed down in 2002, but it was a productive gold mine since 1876. Alrighty. All right, I have two last ones because this one's pretty. This one's pretty solid. Did you know that there are three states in the U.S. that have made rodeo their official sport? Um. Well, Texas. Mm-hmm. And then I guess South Dakota. That's right, because we're talking about South Dakota. <laughs> and the final one is Wyoming. <laughs> Why- Wyoming, I could see too, or like Montana, maybe. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the official sport in South Dakota. And then this last weird fun fact, I just, it cracks me up. Um, The South Dakota governor's Office of Economic Development recently launched a campaign that asked the question, would you rather settle in South Dakota or Mars? Okay. I think if you ask Elon Musk, we know what that answer would be. However. Exactly. Or uh, what's his face? Um, Bezos. Bezos. (laughs) But the funny thing is, so they have this like ad campaign and like their like pitch is, why would you choose to live in South Dakota when you could sign up to colonize Mars? And it's like, well, the Earth has air and jobs and Mars doesn't. So, quote, why die on Mars when you can live in South Dakota? That's what the ad tagline was. (laughs) If that's all you have got... to go on like for for joy is the fact that there's breathable air here that's not a really ringing endorsement for your state (laughs) it's like virginia's for lovers south dakota's like you want to die on mars no live in south dakota (laughs) (laughs) that is great and your your rodeo thing reminded me that one state that we covered their state sport was jousting and i don't remember which one it was oh let me check real quick because that's funny (laughs) jousting i wasn't like oh i feel like it was like maryland um i want to say maryland too for some reason but i think it's because i've been to a lot of renaissance fairs in maryland so no we're totally right it is a maryland okay good the official sport in like 1962 that is so weird (laughs) and i love it yeah it's a really it's weird because it's like modern jousting but it is like you have like a riding helmet on you're like with a little pole and you're like i mean i don't know if they hum to themselves but i sure as shit would they probably do. Don't let them lie to you. 
So that even concludes my fun facts about South Dakota. It's better than Mars and rodeo is the, na- is the state sport. <laughs> awesome. So you can breathe there and rodeo. Yep, gotcha. Yep, yep. What more could a girl ask for? Well, you might not be able to breathe after my stories, but mm. I will get right on with it, I suppose. Wait a second. You said stories. That's right. I did say stories. I have two of them. Ooh, exciting. I'm ready. I had a lot of trouble finding something this week, so that's why I have two. Okay. Uh, so my stories for this week, and yes, I just said stories again. They both take place in a city which I am now referring to as Hell on Earth, South Dakota, which is <laughs> Sioux Falls. <laughs> That's right. It's not just where Bobby lives on Supernatural. It's also a city full of cold cases. So please don't move there or you probably will be murdered and your killer never found. It's sad because I love Supernatural and they were constantly in Sioux Falls on the show. So I did kind of want to visit. But like I said, no, I'm not doing it. But I will tell you what you can do here if you're brave enough to go. So not me, but maybe you. Sioux Falls is actually... The 139th most populous city in the U.S., which probably accounts for some of the violent crime. Uh, it's the county seat of Minnehaha County, but you don't see me even having a Minnehaha right now. Uh, Minnehaha. Pop- <laughs> I love that name. So you can't not love that name. The population is around 195,850 people, and the metropolitan area makes up nearly a third of the entire state of South Dakota's population. Holy moly. Yes. So most people live here or around here. If you look at pictures of the city's skyline, you can tell this is a rather big place and it just looks really pretty. So I'm sad that I'll never that I'm never going there, but not sad enough to still, you know, go there. Uh, It takes up seventy nine point sixty three square miles. So it's really big. It was named after the Big Sioux River, which runs along the city and was initially inhabited by at least 12 different tribes. So that's how you get a name like Minnehaha. That makes a lot more sense now. Because obviously it was Native American just from hearing it. You know it's Native American. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, now, I know I said I didn't want to go here, but I still kind of do if everyone in the city would just promise not to murder me. <laughs> the reason for this is that there are a bunch of great things to do in this murder pit. I mean city. <laughs> There's a place called Falls Park which has all these amazing waterfalls. And I can't even give you a description that would do it justice because it's just that cool. You can also do the sculpture walk and go in the Ark of Dreams monument, which looks really nice lit up at night. There's a butterfly house and aquarium, which is always cool. There's plenty of bike paths and parks and there's a the Great Plains Zoo and so much more. I know I did a horrible job of deterring people from going here because the city really does seem cool, (laughs) but you know, I'm just going to dive right in and now uh, tell you why maybe Sioux Falls is not so cool. So our first story is about a sweet old lady named Clara Olson. So now remember last week, I think it was last week, how I said, don't name your kids Clara. Mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. going to repeat that now because I think if you name your kid Clara, especially if your last name is Olson. They'll probably end up murdered. When doing research for this one, I was wondering why every article seemed a little different from the last one before realizing that there are at least four different women named Clara Olson who all died in horrible ways. That's like surprising. Like statistics. So statistically, if your name is Clara Olson, you're probably going to get murdered. 
Exactly. Yes. And I'm sorry, any listener named Clara Olson. I am so sorry, but just be careful, especially in Sioux Falls. <laughs> okay. But we're talking about the Sioux Falls Clara Olson. Okay. Got it. She was said to be a really sweet, kind old lady. And when I say old, I mean old. This woman was 93 years old at the time of her death. When when did she pass away? Uh, this was 86. Okay. So from what little I was able to find about her personal life, she seems to be like the neighborhood grandma. Did you ever have one of those, Nicole? Yes. Uh, one of our neighbors when I was a very little kid was Miss Roberta. And she was like an older lady. She's very sweet and kind. And she would be the lady that like, you know, your the moms could like leave their their little ones with for, you know, 10 minutes or something like that to run to the store or just to pick something up or if they needed an extra hand. But yeah, I definitely had a neighborhood grandma. That's awesome. I did too. Her name was Mira. I think she was Lebanese. Um, she would always give us food if we went over to her house. <laughs> she was just really nice. And that's very much how Clara Olson was too. Uh, Mira actually ended up haunting her house after she died. Oh. Yeah. Everyone that moved into that house, which was like three or four houses down from mine, they all moved out. Like, and not just like moved out right away. Like they left their stuff and just ran. Oh, geez. Like, I went there once and the grass like just was like growing like crazy. There was mail still in the mailbox and just no one was there. Like they just abandoned the house. Um, Yeah, I got pictures too. And I saw what looked like a younger version of Mira standing in the doorway. Wow. I wish I still had that photo because it was really cool. Anyway, I'm not telling the paranormal story, so I should probably stop now. (laughs) So from a little, I was able to find out about her personal life. She just seemed to be the neighborhood grandma, like I said. Uh, Kids from the neighborhood would come over to visit with her, and she'd send them home with some kind of sweet thing like cookies or candy all the time. She just seems like the the sweetest woman ever. She was also a landlady, so I'm sure she got to know a lot of the neighborhood kids that way, too. Mm -hmm. Before that, she worked in housekeeping for Sioux Valley Hospital, but she had retired 15 years prior to her death. Well, on August 6, 1986, she was found dead in her apartment on West 11th Street by her son. He had called her the previous day and she hadn't answered, nor did she get back to him. So he decided to see if she was okay, since, you know, she's an old woman. Mm -hmm. Anything could have happened to her. Plus, they had this kind of ritual. Every week on a Wednesday, she would call him and she hadn't done that. And then, like I said, she never picked up when he called her her back to check on her when he found her in the apartment she was still in her bed it appeared that time and age had just taken their toll on her as they do everyone eventually and her death was ruled as dying of natural causes little did they know that at the time there was a lot more to the story and seeing as the apartment wasn't treated as a crime scene since no one knew anything sinister had happened nothing was sealed off no one was watching where they stepped And a lot of evidence was probably lost in the process, which is why this became a cold case. Wow. It wasn't until a funeral director noticed strangulation marks on her neck that this was even seen as anything but an elderly woman dying of old age. That's crazy that it was the funeral director. Yeah. And I mean, I know what you're thinking, and I am too. Who would want to kill this poor sweet woman? Like, what could the motive possibly be to kill a 93-year-old woman? So everyone who knew her just seemed to be saying the same things. One 
tenant of hers who had just moved in a month before described her as being the sweetest woman who was just very caring. She was always telling her not to work too hard and to get enough sleep and that sort of thing, just watching over everyone. Parents from the neighborhood told stories of how kind she was to their children and always giving them treats. It just seemed like there was no reason to murder this woman. Mm -hmm. They ended up interviewing over 100 people during this investigation and still came up empty-handed. They checked into her past tenants, uh, which is probably where I would start too because my gut tells me to check out the family because that's the most logical place to start. And then work on tenants. Maybe someone had, she had to like evict, wanted revenge. Mm -hmm. They even traveled all the way to Dallas, Texas twice to interview someone who looked good for it. But they just didn't have enough evidence for an arrest. And here's the thing about that, that I think a lot of people don't get about police work and the legal system. Obviously, they thought this was the guy. But even if you have enough evidence for an arrest, the big question is, do you have enough to go from there? Do you have enough evidence to put this guy away and keep him there? Can you bring this before a grand jury and get an indictment? Sometimes the answer is no, and that seemed to be what happened here. There was supposed to be some kind of new information coming out, according to one of my sources, since the police were going to announce something about the case. But all the searching I did led me nowhere, which is really sad. This is the part where I say what I always say when it comes to cold cases— If any of you guys listening now have any information at all, please let someone in law enforcement know this woman deserves justice and her family deserves closure. Even if you're saying, I don't really want to get involved, there are ways of leaving anonymous tips. And hell, if you want to email us, we'd even be happy to contact the police for you. Uh, Clara's is far from the only cold case in Sioux Falls and the surrounding area. There have been others, some similar to that case including like the strangulation and everything that still remain unsolved. Hmm. But next, since that story wasn't all that much of a story, which is why I did too. (laughs) I want to tell you about one that gives us a little more closure than we got with this one. So my sources for that first story were Wikipedia, newspapers.com, argusleader.com, kiloland.com and Reddit. Our next story might be a bit tough to handle because it involves a baby. So here's your warning before we start. Damn, man. Yes. I know I went to extremes on this one. Very old and very young. So it all started on a cold day in February of 1981 when a man named Lee Litz was out driving with a friend around 33rd Street and Sycamore Avenue in Sioux Falls when he spotted something strange. Lying in a ditch along the road was a blanket the color of red wine. He thought this seemed strange, I guess, so he told his friend to pull over and he went to check it out. And now this area, this street is like, it's like by like a big cornfield and there was like this ditch in the cornfield and that's where it happened. Uh, I really don't think he was quite prepared for what he was about to find though. Wrapped in the blanket was a newborn baby with tears frozen to its face. Also, when I say newborn, I mean newborn because there was still placenta covering him. Mm. Next to the now mostly frozen body of this little baby were a pair of women's underwear, some bloody tissues, and a shirt. Oh my God. He pretty much knew the baby was already dead when he got there, but he still had hopes of rescuing baby Doe. He went to a friend's house and called the police, but ultimately the baby was not able to be saved. 
this hit kind of close to home for Lee because he had he has a daughter born the same year. So he was even quoted as saying, I sure would have adopted him rather than let him die like this. When they had the funeral for him, 50 people showed up. The baby was posthumously christened Baby Andrew Doe and was buried at St. Michael's Cemetery on Cliff Avenue. Lee still regularly visits the grave to this day, as does his daughter, who reportedly views Baby Andrew as her older brother. Crystal, Lee's daughter, likes to leave gifts on the grave such as, quote, sock animals, which I guess uh, the article meant like sock puppet animals, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure. But I'm assuming it's sock puppet animals. So before I get into the rest of the case, I just I want to ask why. Like, I know if you're not prepared to have a child, it could be tough. But no one is ever really prepared, even if you planned on having a child. There are just so many better ways to deal with it. Why not put the baby up for adoption or at least leave the baby at a fire station or church or anywhere else that there are actual drop-off locations for this kind of thing. Hell, even an abortion would have been kinder than to let your baby freeze to death. I kept getting really emotional while doing these notes, and it's weird because I really don't cry much, Mm -hmm. but I kept having to hold back tears while doing this one. This episode has been tough for me, so I'm sorry that I'm not being really funny right now, but I just can't make this one funny. It's like an impossibility. So to get back to the story now, There was actually a witness who was interviewed who says around the time they remember seeing a light colored vehicle that may have been a Datsun with, quote, a woman's legs hanging out and some blankets on the ground at the time, end quote. Oh, my. One. Yeah. One really haunting thing um, that I agree with from this case is what Lee was quoted as saying, which was, quote, To see a child thrown away like that, how could someone do that? Someone got away with murder. And that's exactly how I feel about this. This case went cold for a very long time, and in 2009, the baby's body was exhumed so they could gather DNA. He was reinterred in 2010, and then in 2017, they tried to link the DNA to find the mother, but even with all the advances since 1981, they still didn't have any luck. After they found nothing in the database, they decided to team up with a genealogy company called Parabon Nanolabs Incorporated, which, yes, is very hard to read because it's spelled all sorts of weird. Those are not words. (laughs) So from information in their database, they were able to create a family tree and were finally able to find baby Andrew's mother or at least a possible mother. But they needed her DNA to be sure. The woman's name was Teresa Bentas. Once police had the name, they were able to locate the woman, and they did a trash pull, which I know might sound a little weird, but for those of you that know about the law, once you throw an item away, it's no longer your property, and they are free to take it. You've probably seen TV shows where the detective will offer a glass of water to someone they're interviewing and then take the cup to run it for DNA, right, Nicole? Classic, classic true crime trope. Exactly. Yes. I watch SVU constantly. And unfortunately, I just finished all the episodes and I'm caught up with TV and now I have nothing to watch. But but, um, yeah, they do it all the time. So they did this and they gathered cigarette butts, beer bottles and water bottles from the trash and they sent them for testing and they were a match. Mm. They interviewed the father, Dirk, who didn't know about the pregnancy really at all. 
And he said that he remembered Teresa simply having a little bump and then it was gone. Teresa herself says she hid the pregnancy from both friends and family. And in 2019, Teresa Bentos was finally charged with first-degree murder and was held on $250,000 bail. Now Teresa is trying to say that the police illegally obtained DNA, but digging through the trash is a completely legal police procedure, and they even had a warrant. So probably not, Teresa. Hate to tell you, but probably not. Actually, I don't hate to tell you. I love to tell you because you are the worst type of person. That did not stop her lawyer from filing a motion to suppress the DNA evidence saying it violated her Fourth Amendment rights, which is your right to privacy. Uh, it was denied by the judge, thank God, and the DNA is still admissible. The most recent article that I could find on the subject is from April of this year, and it looks like Teresa's trial has been postponed three times, hmm. which I'm sure has to do a lot with COVID. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think that was probably because they were delaying everyone's trials. Uh, there was like a moratorium on like a bunch of stuff like yeah so that's probably the case i could not locate a new trial date but hopefully justice will be served because i'm really hoping that there's justice for baby andrew doe what do you think nicole i'm so curious to see if at trial like her motivations come out and like why yeah because it sounds she was 19 at the time i did the math because she's like 50 something now so in 81, she would have been 19. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense if you look at, you know, South Dakota is a very um, conservative state when it comes to laws around abortion and birth control. Like it's one of those informed consent laws where if you want to get an abortion today in South Dakota, you have to do like the 72 hour waiting period. The physician has to tell you exactly how old your fetus is. Which is horrible. You don't want to know that information. Well, like, yeah, it's also the state where it's like you have to have, you know, in-person counseling where they show you very graphic pictures of what an abortion is. Um, you, it's not supported by any kind of public funding. So if you're poor and you can't get one, you can't get one. And it's kind of like I understand that this is a tragic, awful thing, but it's almost like yeah. I wonder what else was happening for her that compounded it. If you think about it, like – when that happened, it was only what, like a decade or so after abortion even became became legal. Period. Right. Yeah. So I think it's awful, and I agree with you. There's no reason to leave your baby out. There's in so the cold. many other options. Yeah, I mean, safe haven laws exist for a reason. Although exactly. safe haven laws, again, they are something that you know may have happened after this incident. True. But still, you could always take a baby to a hospital. Like that's not yes. something you'd have to deal with. Um, it's just it's just sad because I feel like a lot of women end up in desperate situations where they oh, yeah. they make terrible decisions and you're you know you're a kid. Exactly. I mean, we all are stupid when we're younger. We all make stupid mistakes, but this one cost a life, and that's that's where I have to draw the line, unfortunately. Um, but yes, I agree. Like with like everything you said about like the abortion like procedures. Like that, it's it's always good to be knowledgeable about what you're doing, the risks and everything else. But at the same time, it, it, once your mind's made up, your mind's made up. And just showing those graphic images to someone is probably just going to make them feel horrible. They're still going to do it, but then they're just going to feel worse afterwards. Well, right. It's, it's taking something that's already a difficult decision for a woman and making it even more traumatic in the hopes that it'll defer that decision and change it. It's just fucked up. 
Exactly. All right. My sources uh, for this story were about five different articles from one of the same places, ArgusLeader.com. They just seem to be popping up everywhere and having all the information. And then I also used CrimeOnline.com. Thanks for that story, Eden, as dark and depressing as it was. I'm sorry. It sounds like you had a tough week. And then <laughs> on top I did. of it, learning all about these like dark, fucking depressing murder stories. I know. I mean, they're interesting stories. And like, I like, I'm glad that the mystery is finally solved in the case of baby Andrew Doe. Mm-hmm. I hope that the trial goes the way that it should. Um, but then poor Clara Olson, we still don't know what happened to her. Yeah, I'm just I'm just still so startled that it's like no one noticed. I mean, I, I understand how it could happen because it's an old lady and you'd assume natural causes and exactly she was people, 93. It seems more plausible. Yeah, Occam's razor, you know. 100% get that. Yeah, but it's just like oh, it never hurts to look. So double check yeah. your work and strangulation marks do not lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Check your work, kids. Because I mean, you would never think that someone would want to murder a 93 year old woman. It just doesn't sound right, especially when she was sweet to everyone. That's true. All right. Now that we probably need it, we're going to take a little break. And then when we come back, I will have a news story for you. And Nicole will have her paranormal story. See you then. And we're back. All right, guys. I have a news story for y'all. Are you ready, Nicole? I'm ready. Let's hear the news. All right. This comes from Como News. And the headline is Man bitten in genital area by neighbor's escaped python in toilet. Oh my. No, I don't. Oh God. Okay. This is legit. Not the python part, but the snake in my toilet is like a genuine like fear I have. Exactly. Okay. And now, of course, from the way you said that it just made me think of fucking Woody from Toy Story. There's a snake in my boot. <laughs> I'm going to have to brace myself okay. to listen to this new story. <laughs> it's in Austria, so I think you'll be fine. Okay. A man in Austria was bitten by a 1.6 meter, which is five and a quarter foot python during an early morning visit to the toilet at his home on Monday, police say. The reptile which apparently escaped from a neighbor's apartment and may have slithered through the drains, was cl- was cleaned and handed back to its owner. Ew. The 75-year-old victim felt a nip in the genital area <laughs> shortly after sitting on the toilet at home in Graz just after 6 a.m. Oh, what a terrible way to wake up. According to a statement from police in Styria, Styria province? I don't know how you say it. It's... I don't know. I'm not from Austria. (laughs) I don't speak German. Um, He then looked into the toilet and discovered the albino reticulated python. Oh, it's a, it's an albino snake too. Yeah. It looks like the, it's like the, the white and yellow. Oh, so like if your toilet's white, you're not even going to like see it. Cause you like sleepily glance down and you're like, it's fine. There's nothing. I think I'm the only person that like looks in the toilet before I go. No, like, no, I do too because this is like a legit like concern I have, and like my wife says that I'm just crazy, but I know I'm crazy, but I still can't not. No, I always do. Mm-mm. And then plus, there was one time when I I had to go and I went to sit down, and um, both the seat and the lid were up, and I almost fell in. So that's another reason. I mean, yes, that's also that like look. welcome to the world of a woman. 
right? (laughs) (laughs) So, the snake apparently had escaped unnoticed from the apartment of the man's 24-year-old neighbor. It wasn't immediately possible to figure out how it escaped and how it got into the toilet, but police said it may have made its way through the drains. A reptile expert was called to retrieve the snake, which was returned to its owner. Police said the younger man kept 11 non-venomous constrictor snakes and a gecko in his apartment in terrariums and drawers. Yes, a lot of them. I've noticed this. I've noticed this as a thing with people that love reptiles. They can't just stop at one. They have a million of them. There's terrarium after terrarium in their homes. I just can't. Like, it looks like a fucking pet store. Like, it's crazy. He faces an investigation on suspicion of causing bodily harm by negligence. The victim sustained only minor injuries, police said. That is the end of the article. Okay, so... But what the fuck? Yeah, no, I don't, like... So, like, I don't have many phobias, but there's two things that I am uncomfortable and scared of. The first thing I'm uncomfortable and scared of is tight spaces. Like, I get very claustrophobic very easily. Yeah. And the second one is snakes. I am just terrified of snakes. That's my thing. I hate them. I will not deal with them, interact with them in any way. And I, like, if somebody has, like, a snake with them in public or... They have even sometimes even lizards are a little too snaky for me. I just uh, I will I will cross I, the street. I will evade that. I I'm not a huge fan of snakes, but I did hold like a six foot long um, Burmese python uh, with a group of other people, of course, because it's a very long snake. Um, but I did hold one one time in scouts when I was a kid. No, just the thought of that makes me nauseous. Yeah, see, the thing with the the snake in the toilet, it just it scares the crap out of me because I remember when that big toilet spider rumor went around. Do you remember that? No, thankfully I did not remember that. Oh yeah, like spiders like bursting out of toilets and ugh, ugh, I hate spiders. So, well, this is why I'm glad there's a nightlight in our bathroom because I know tonight when I inevitably wake up at like four in the morning and have to go to the bathroom i will be like thank god the nightlight i can see there's no snake in my toilet there's no snakes i uh, know oh <laughs> god oh i feel really bad for that man i do oh. too that's a that is a rude wake up you're right now my uh my nether regions hurt from thinking about that story <laughs> <laughs> well let me put some more stories into your head and hopefully it'll dampen the effect of the snake on the toilet for us yes please <laughs> So today for my story, we're going to head to Deadwood, the notorious Gold Rush Old West Town. Oh, yes. Located in the Black Hills in western South Dakota, Deadwood is the county seat of Lawrence County and is about five square miles in area with a current population of about 1,200 people. The entire city is designated as a National Historic Landmark District due to its very well-preserved 1870s architecture. And most of the local economy is based around preserving its history and educating visitors about the Old West and the notable people associated with Deadwood, folks like Wild Bill Hickok, Calamity Jane, and Wyatt Earp. Awesome. So before I get into the spookiness of my story, I'm going to start off by telling you a little bit about the history of Deadwood. Uh, I think it's key in understanding why so many paranormal occurrences happen in this city. So first off, its name, Deadwood. Perfectly spooky, creepy name. Yes, always. 
Well, after a little digging, I found out that the name comes from the Deadwood Creek, which runs through the gulch where the city sits. There's actually a couple of different creeks that run in and around Deadwood, uh, but the primary one is Deadwood Creek. And it got that name when the first American settlers reached the area in the early 1870s. They found that there were lots of dead trees that lined the gulch, hence they named it Deadwood Creek. Now that we know where the name Deadwood comes from, let's talk a little bit more about those early settlers. So they weren't so much settlers as they were squatters who were illegally settling the land. Okay. All of that land, the ownership of the Black Hills, including the land where Deadwood eventually was established, was owned by the Lakota people. The Lakota consider the Black Hills sacred land and a... 18, and the 1868 Treaty of Fort Laramie guaranteed their rights to own that land. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But you know how treaties with indigenous peoples work for... Oh, yeah. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> and sure enough, most of the settlers in the area completely ignored the treaty and squatted on the land. And this, of course, led to numerous disputes, many of them physical altercations, but some of them actual legal cases brought by the Lakota and other indigenous people over people set over settlers on their land in the Black Hills. So aside from all of these, like this tension between the settlers who are squatting on this land and the indigenous people got even worse when other government officials also started to ignore the Treaty of Fort Laramie. The most impactful was Colonel George Armstrong Custer, AKA that fucking guy when he led a 1874 expedition into the Black Hills, just, you know, because he could. Of course. Dick. Dick. His expedition did, however, turn up gold deposits, and the sacred land of the Black Hills was overrun by a rush of prospectors hoping to strike it rich in the Dakota Territory. While the initial gold deposits that were discovered near, you guessed it, Custer, South Dakota, ran out, the prospectors kind of moved on and they discovered much larger gold deposits in the Deadwood Gulch in 1875. What exactly is a gulch? Great question. I actually had to look it up for this story because I had no idea either. I've heard the word several times and I have no idea what defines a gulch. A gulch is defined as like a V-shaped valley that is caused by erosion. So Oftentimes, there is a river that runs through it, a creek. There doesn't have to be. It could actually be a dry gulch, and that's something that happens a lot in the central U.S., where it's basically this valley that's been a a very sharp V that's been eroded because there used to be a stream or a creek there, and it just kind of creates a dip in the land. It's also a fun word to say, gulch. It is a very fun word to say. I will agree. Now, Deadwood, after this discovery of gold in the Deadwood Gulch, immediately boomed to 5,000 residents. And within two years, there were somewhere between 12,000 and 25,000 people living in the city, which, as we know for South Dakota, is an amazing amount of people. Oh, yes. (laughs) Now, with this huge influx of people and gold, the city quickly became really debauched and dangerous. The most profitable activities in Deadwood at the time were gold mining, gambling, and that classic prostitution. Now, the city quickly became notorious for its lawlessness. Robberies and murders were very common. And attempts at law enforcement looked a lot more like lynch mobs and individual vengeance vigilante justice. Even famous Western 
figures weren't safe in Deadwood. While Bill Hickok, former Pony Express rider, soldier, scout, gunfighter, and lawman was actually murdered during a poker game in Deadwood. Okay. On August 1st, 1876, Hickok had been playing poker at this Deadwood saloon when one of the players dropped out and another man named Jack McCall decided to take his place at the table. Uh, Unfortunately, McCall was so drunk, he didn't realize how in over his head he was compared to the skill level of the other gamblers at the table. And he quickly lost the next several hands and ran out of money. Uh, Reportedly, Hickok felt bad for him, so he offered McCall some money to buy breakfast and the advice that he should only ever come back to this poker table when he has enough money to cover his losses. McCall took the money, but apparently he felt pretty insulted by... Wild Bill Hickok's unsolicited advice. But he took the money and left. Okay. I am pretty sure that Jack McCall's idea of a good breakfast is a stiff whiskey or two because he showed up the next day drunk and angry at the saloon. Of course, because who didn't back in those days? Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Wild Bill Hickok, who was again playing poker, happened to be sitting with his back to the door, so he didn't notice the drunk and pissed off McCall come in. As the men at the poker table picked up their cards for their next hand, McCall walked up behind Hickok, shouted, Damn you, take that! And shot him in the back of the head with a single action forty-five caliber revolver. Well, that was a little uncalled for. A little drastic, Jack. Uh, Hickok was killed instantly, obviously with getting a gunshot to the back of your head with that size bullet. And the cards that he held in his hand at the time of death, a pair of black aces and a pair of black eights became known as the dead man's hand. Okay. I knew that. I didn't know where it came from. I knew what it was. I didn't know where it came from. Like, that's really cool, but sad. I remember it from, from history class. Oh, look at you remembering history class. I know. Right. I mean, to the days that I didn't sleep through it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So whatever happened to McCall, well, he escaped, but eventually he was captured. Uh, Fun side note, there is a, legend let's say that an enraged calamity jane who was completely heartbroken over the murder of wild bill hickok the two were rumored to be lovers she went after jack mccall with a meat cleaver because she was in such a blind fury that she left her guns at home (laughs) oh my god (laughs) Uh, eventually mccall was tried twice actually and hanged for hickok's murder now this murder was a pretty big shockwave for uh deadwood and Only a few weeks later, in mid-August of 1876, uh, another tragedy swept through the city. Uh, Smallpox broke out, and it was such a quick-moving sickness that so many people became infected and sick that they set up a small tent village to basically quarantine the sick. Um, Smallpox is one of those nasty diseases that I'm happy that we've basically eradicated. Oh, yes. Um, It can be deadly. It's about a 30% uh, death rate uh, for adults, much higher for infants and children. But it's a pretty serious sickness, and it does, like, scar you. It can cause blindness. It's it's a nasty disease. Oh, yeah. It's horrible. And then, just to add, you know, even more awfulness on top of, you know, murders, crime, famous people getting murdered, and a epidemic – uh, in mid-September 1876, the bedraggled 3rd Cavalry Regiment arrived in town. Now, they were under the command of a general named George Crook, and he had set out months earlier in this pursuit and punishment of the Native people who had decimated General Custer's 7th Cavalry Regiment in the Battle of Little Bighorn. Um, so 
Crook was so thirsty to rev- get revenge against these uh, Native people that he just kind of took off without bringing enough rations for all of the cavalry troops he had under his command. Okay, so that was a big oversight. Big oversight, and it resulted in something that is known in the lore of the 3rd Cavalry Regiment as the Horsemeat March or the Mud March. <gasps> no. Yes. Over the summer of se- of 1876, the cavalrymen were forced to kill and eat their own horses. Oh. Yeah. And then after the horses were gone, they pretty much ate anything else they could get their hands on, even their own boots. Okay, I thought you were going to say even each other, so thank God you didn't say that. <laughs> it wasn't quite that drastic, but um, in early September, however, the regiment was able to locate a Sioux encampment, which they promptly ransacked and murdered a bunch of Sioux and used the supplies they had stolen to limp back to Deadwood. So all this misery that happened in 1876 is even worse. Now you have all these like kind of like rough, half-crazed army guys in town it's just nuts so it kind of creates this groundswell demand for law enforcement in deadwood and the governor of the dakota territory decides he needs to take action so he appoints a man named seth bullock as deadwood's first sheriff have you ever heard of seth bullock eden i don't think so I hadn't really heard of him before. He was always sort of that tangential character in stories about like Wyatt Earp and Old West stuff, but I didn't know too much about him. Um, I also have never watched the Deadwood TV series, which is all about. I have not either. So Seth Bullock's a pretty interesting character. He is Canadian. He uh, arrived in Deadwood along with his business partner, Soul Star, uh, a couple days before Bill Hickok's death, actually, and they were going to open a hardware store. They set up their hardware store, and when it came time to pick a sheriff, the reason Bullock was selected was because he had previously worked as a sheriff in Montana. And during his tenure there, he had garnered this reputation as a very fearless man with an uncompromising nature. So he seemed like the natural choice to bring order to the city of Deadwood. Now, according to legend, which I think is super hilarious – uh, famed lawman Wyatt Earp was also snooping around Deadwood. He had just recently ended his uh, previous position as a deputy, and he was in Deadwood looking into the sheriff position. So when the governor notified Seth Bullock that he had been selected and he was now the sheriff, the very first thing he did was go out, find Wyatt Earp, and tell him three things. One, the position of sheriff was filled. Two, his services weren't required, and three, he should get the hell out of town. Oh, nice. <laughs> right? I'm like, I already love this guy. <laughs> like, Seth Bullock is full <laughs> of shit. <laughs> Way to handle the competition. Exactly. So Bullock really did become this stabilizing force in Deadwood while he acted as first the sheriff and then later as a U.S. Marshal. Initially, he deputized several citizens to help him clean up the more rowdy establishments in town. Um, And this effort to clean up Deadwood led to several confrontations with a guy named Al Swearingen. Al Swearingen was the proprietor of the Gem Theater, which was Deadwood's most notorious brothel and black market establishment. The front half was a theater where he would hold things like musicians and he would do prize fights. And then the back was a brothel. And it's also where you go to buy opium in Deadwood. So obviously these two guys are perfect natural rivals. Oh, yes. Despite Bullock's best efforts, Swearingen manages to evade the cleanup of Deadwood for like years. He basically bribes his way and creates 
favorable political alliances that kind of keep him operating in the city up until the 1890s. If this sounds like something interested you'd like to learn more about, this is what a lot of the HBO series Deadwood is about. Um, I haven't watched it. It's on my to watch list because it does have Ian McShane in it, who I love, and Timothy Oliphant. So. I do like Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, he plays Seth Bullock. It's kind of great. And it's super weird because like back in the 90s, not attracted to him at all. But for some reason, once I watched him on Santa Clarita Diet, uh-huh, uh-huh. he was suddenly very attractive to me. <laughs> Don't know how it happened. He needed more more years on him. I guess so. I mean, the gray hair and the I'm beard work for him. I don't know. <laughs> well, then Eden, I think Deadwood should be your next binge watch. Maybe. I am running out of shows. So, <laughs> Although I did recently start watching Titans, and that's good. So Good to know. Good to know. The next part of my story, and I'm getting close to the ghost, I swear, is about um, Bullock's continued presence. So he's basically helped clean up Deadwood. But by cleaning up Deadwood and getting rid of all like the the brothels and the gambling halls and the saloons that were kind of a little bit uh, disreputable, it left a big gap for entertainment in the city. So Bullock and Soulstar decide they're going to open their own entertainment establishment in 1896. Located on the corner of Main Street and Wall Street, the Bullock Hotel is the oldest hotel in Deadwood today, and it's actually going to be where we're going to do our stop. So now that you know about Deadwood, you know about the man Seth Bullock, let me tell you a little bit about the hotel that he built that still stands. It was built over two years, and originally it was three stories, decorated in that Italian Victorian style with, you know, the big windows, the archways, the brickwork. It's a lovely building. It had a large dining hall, a grand lobby with these ginormous brass chandeliers, and offices on the first floor. And then there were 36 luxury guest rooms on the upper two floors. Uh, The rooms had oak furnishings, and there were two banks of skylights on the upper floors to create natural lighting for guests. Over the course of the 20th century, the building of the Bullock Hotel has been renovated several times. Uh, It was a hotel up until the 1970s where it was purchased and converted into a hardware store. Uh, It remained a hardware store. That's a weird choice. It is a weird choice for sure. Um, And I almost wonder like, I guess if you're going to store all your stuff there too, as like a warehouse for your hardware store, it kind of makes sense, but hmm. it was however, converted back to a hotel in the 1990s. Um, The current owners have been really careful about restoring the hotel based on the best info they have from the 1890s on how it originally looked. They were able to preserve a lot of the original woodwork that was left in the building, and they went out of their way to find appropriate Victorian wallpaper and furnishings as well. I love when they do that. I know, right? Like, try to keep everything as close to the original as possible. Um, looking at like some of their gallery uh, items that they have on their website, it looks like a fantastic – Like I, you would dig this place, just the way it's decorated. It's very immersive. It very much feels like a Victorian hotel with modern amenities, which I enjoy. That is perfect. Um. So while the original hotel had 63 rooms, the modern version only has 28 rooms. Uh, That's mostly due to the need to install modern plumbing, which is like totally a need. (laughs) The original hotel had some internal plumbing, but it was mostly a large communal bathrooms with baths in them. So 
uh, there wasn't actually Which, no thank you exactly. I know how you feel about that, so you're fine now. Yes. <laughs> There's also modern amenities on a lot of the rooms. A lot of the rooms have jacuzzi tubs, and there's even some wet bars in some of the more high-end rooms. I would love that. Uh, The reduction in rooms was also because the owners, as they were renovating the upper floors, they discovered that a lot of the original rooms in the Bullock Hotel were kind of oddly shaped and just sort of crammed into the building's footprint at these weird angles just to maximize the space. (laughs) So they decided to standardize them all. Yeah. Now, the modern hotel also features on the first floor a bar and restaurant called Bully, and that's in honor of Seth Bullock's lifelong friend, Theodore Roosevelt. They were apparently quite good friends, and there's actually a monument to Teddy Roosevelt that Bullock built in Deadwood. It's called the Friendship Tower. It's another must-see, apparently, to-do item in Deadwood. But at the Bullock Hotel, since the 1990s and with the renovation and returning the hotel to its original glory, people reported a lot of paranormal experiences. Uh, The most frequently cited apparition is the man himself, Seth Bullock. Though Bullock died from cancer at his home and not in the hotel, contrary to some rumors that I came across, dozens of people have reported seeing him at the hotel, all with the same description. They say they encounter a tall man with steely gray eyes and a large thick mustache covering all of his upper lip and then some no seriously google search seth bullock if you want to see the most intense mustache and also bonus pictures of mustachioed timothy oliphant go ahead i'll wait you'll you'll like this oh that is that is a mustache right uh i don't know where the mustache ends ends and the man man begins begins. (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) and then you look at timothy Uh, oliphant he has no lips anymore (laughs) Look at Timothy Oliphant in Deadwood, though, and you're like, that's still an impressive mustache, but it's not. It's it's a Hollywood cleaned up version of Seth Bullock's mustache. Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> so much more lip going on with Timothy Oliphant than there was with good old Seth and his no lips having <laughs> shit because he just has a crazy mustache that covers his entire mouth. How does he eat? How does he clean that thing? Does he have a special brush to get all the food out afterwards? What about soup? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Waiter, there's a hair in my soup. No, there's not. That's from your mustache, dude. <laughs> I think you mean there's a mustache in my soup. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> okay. So now that you have the mustache, okay, the man with the mustache in your mind, imagine you- The man, the myth, the, the mustache. mustache. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Now, I want you to imagine for me, Eden, that you just finished serving your last table in the bully restaurant. Maybe you just finished refreshing a guest room and you're like, great, I can sit down and take a break. Then this mustache appears out of nowhere and thinks no. it gives you the stink eye because you're slacking off. The mustache gives me the stink eye. All right. <laughs> You've just been visited by the ghost of Seth Bullock. Creepy. Okay, get your mustache away from me, man. I did nothing. <laughs> And that's what most people say the encounters are like. He is still there at the hotel checking on the staff to make sure that everything is running smoothly. Everyone who has reported seeing him has said that it's usually when they are kind of either standing idly by or they've just decided to take a break. Um, Guests and staff members have also reported that sometimes he appears when you're just like kind of whistling or humming a tune. So I don't know if that's like one, like a signal to his ghost that maybe you're slacking off because you're whistling a jaunty tune as you like clean glasses in the saloon. I don't know. 
But huh, okay. Yeah. Note to self, go there and try it. Yep, he's still a bossy boss pants in the afterlife too. Aside from the ghostly appearance of Deadwood's first sheriff, people have also witnessed all sorts of haunting activities at the Bullock Hotel, including plates and glasses that will inexplicably shake when they're set on tables or on the bar top. Sometimes they've also been seen just being flung across the restaurant. A lot of items go missing. And when they go missing, they always reappear, but just in a different location. This has happened in the bar. It has happened in the restaurant. And it also happens in guest rooms. It's almost like somebody with unseen hands is ghostly moving things around the hotel. The other weird thing is that lights, appliances, TVs, showers, even the jacuzzi tubs will turn off and on of their own accord. Okay, that's not fun. Don't you interrupt my jacuzzi tub time. Right? Um, There were a couple things I read about guests who say that when they got back to their room, the jacuzzi tub was running and the TV was flicking off and on. Um, Like, that's got to be weird. Like, I'm sorry to interrupt something. I know ghosts have to relax too, but... But still, yeah, that's creepy and I don't want it. (laughs) Agreed. Even more creepy is this next little tidbit that I found out uh, about. A lot of guests report that they'll be walking down the hallway and suddenly hear this male voice call out their name and they turn around. No one's there. Ooh, okay. That's not at all terrifying. Even more creepy is that in the same hallway on the upper floors of the hotel, people have said they felt a tap on the shoulder and when they turn around, no one's there. Like I already, yeah, I really don't like that. Right. I already hate the shoulder tap game. When someone tries to like tap me, sit on my left side and tap me on my right shoulder. I hate it even more when you're a ghost. People have also reported in the same area of the hotel to hear disembodied whistling and also the sound of footsteps, even though when they glance into the hallway, there's no one there, but they still hear the whistling or hear the footsteps. Okay, so let me get this straight. You can't whistle because that'll conjure up the ghost of Mustache Man, Mm -hmm. but the ghost can whistle and that's fine. That's right, because he's the boss. What kind of double standards is this? That's an Old West double standard for you. (laughs) I guess. So... If you are going to whistle, you must have a mustache that is approximately 12 inches bigger than your entire face. Got you. (laughs) The last bit of creepiness that happens at the Bullock Hotel is something we've seen at a lot of different places. Uh, People capture light orbs. And this has happened on several of the ghost hunts in the hotel. They'll capture orbs of light on film. Um, Other ghost hunters have reported seeing cloudy, incorporeal figures drifting in and out of guest rooms and down the hallway. There's also some clock shenanigans that go on at the Bullock Hotel. Uh, The first is that alarm clocks will ring even though they're not plugged in. And that's just fucking rude because I'm trying to sleep in. Exactly. Yeah. No, not on my vacation. Thanks, ghosty. And the one that kind of creeps me out a little bit more than just my alarm clock going off, even though it's unplugged, although I'm sure I'd be fucking terrified if that ever happened to me, is that there's this big antique antique grandfather clock in the hotel. It doesn't work anymore. It's mostly just there to add to the ambiance and the Victorian feeling of the hotel. However, people have reported that the clock will just spontaneously chime. On random times throughout the day. So even though. No, thank yeah. you. So who knows? I guess somebody really loves to hear the, the chiming of a clock versus the humming of a staff member. I suppose so. Now, with all that supernatural activity, it shouldn't come as any surprise that the hotel regularly hosts ghost tours. And it's been featured on TV shows like Unsolved Mysteries. 
So I also have a little bonus haunting for you, Edom. Okay, go for it. All right. So in a town like Deadwood, there's so much paranormal activity and stories that are talked about. I mean, how could you not trip over ghosts in a place that's been debauched and violent and just all kinds of sickness and death over the years in a very short, intense period of time? Well, in Deadwood, Caddy Corner from the Bullock Hotel is the historic Fairmont Hotel and Oyster Bay Bar, which is cited as the most haunted place in Deadwood. Okay. I chose to do the Bullock Hotel over this hotel over the Fairmount, mostly because I couldn't find a whole lot of verifiable information outside of information that the Fairmount Hotel has provided or that I found on the History Channel shows that have covered the hotel. But I do have a little bit, and I think it would be interesting just to touch on it because it kind of illustrates how freaking spooky Deadwood is in general. Built in 1891 with a distinctive corner turret that really does set it apart from other the other buildings on Main Street, the Fairmount Hotel started out as a, quote, men's hotel so like a brothel you got it <laughs> originally it had a turkish bath a barber shop a plunge pool and a saloon on the lower floors and then the upper floors of the hotel hosted a brothel along with an illegal secret casino sounds right for shenanigans it yeah and it sounds right for deadwood so mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm there is some speculation that this place is more haunted than the Bullock Hotel across the street because of the illegal nature of the activities that went on there. There are a lot of stories about deaths that were connected to the Fairmount. What you'd expect, you know, people getting out of hand partying, tragic things happening. Um, a couple of the stories that I did come across seemed to be from the early 1900s. There is the story of Margaret Broadwater, who drunkenly leapt to her death from a third floor window in 1907. A year later, there was a story I found about a man who was jealous of a client that his sex worker girlfriend was seeing regularly, and he shot and killed the man. Oh, lovely. So that's just a small spattering of the goings on that would happen at the Fairmont Hotel. Um, There have been some interesting ghost investigations at the hotel. Uh, Those investigations have actually turned up some reported ghost photography. The ghosts captured in the photographs have been reported, have been speculated to be Margaret Broadwater and also the two men from the previous story I told about the jealous lover shooting his girlfriend's clients. But they've also captured other apparitions like that of a little boy who's dressed in early 1900s clothing. It's extremely common for guests to see apparitions at the Fairmont. These apparitions appear in rooms. They appear in hallways. A lot of people have reported the feeling of something invisible brushing against their skin or their hair. Um, In terms of additional details about those hauntings, I couldn't find a whole lot of details like I said previously Um, And I think that's mostly because the Fairmont Hotel has been featured so heavily on shows like Ghost Adventures, Ghost Lab, and of course, my fucking favorite ridiculous ghost hunting show of all time, The Dead Files. I know you love your Dead Files. I love it so much. Um, And a lot of the ghost tours seem to be very um, proprietary for the hotel. So they do offer a very extensive ghost well it's a history tour but it's also a ghost tour at the same time it's an 80 minute tour they hold it regularly at the hotel so you can basically stop in have yourself 
you know, a nice dinner at the oyster bar and then take this, you know, 80 minute ghost tour to learn more in depth about these specific hauntings. But yeah, so Eden, what do you think? Would you rather stay at the Fairmont gent- former gentleman's hotel or over at the glorious Victorian digs at the Bullock Hotel? I think I'm going to choose the Bullock Hotel just because I I love the fact that it was renovated so nicely. It has a lot of cool amenities and it just seems like a great place to stay. I would probably visit both of them, though, and I'd want to do a little investigation at both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just hope that, you know, I can come away with as glorious of a mustache <laughs> as Mr. Seth did. Well, you know, one night at the Bullock Hotel and you'll wake up the next day with like a monster mustache. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> The sources for my story this week were only in your state, Wikipedia, this great blog called Grandma Dar's Biker Blog, uh, legendsofamerica.com, the Bullock Hotel's website at historicbullock.com, the Fairmont Hotel and Oyster Bay Bar website at deadwoodbrotheltours.com. They're not hiding anything with that name. Nope, not at all. Uh, The Black Hills of Visitors Center.com and the city of deadwood.com. All right. Thank you so much, Nicole. I like that story. It was good. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our first stop over in South Dakota. That it does. Um, If you like the stories you heard today, feel free to let us know. We always love hearing from folks. We love feedback. It makes us better. And that's what we want to do is bring you the best podcast we can. So you can do that by sending us a quick email at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com or by rating and leaving a review of the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. You can also visit us on our website at roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com. If you're looking for something to spice up your day, you can stop by our social media pages. Uh, We like to post funny memes and also alerts about our latest episode drops. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Roadside Horror Show and on Twitter at Roadside Horror. We'd like to thank Yoxbox Designs for our logo and Emassi for our intro and outro music. Until next time, Roadsters, creep, creep on, on, creeping, creeping on. on.